Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, Crimson Vow is here, baby, and boy, howdy, has it brought some rares along with it. <laughs> yeah, that that does seem to be the scuttle currently, is that this is quite a bomb-heavy format, a Prince format, that we are not going to discuss that. I sort of left that off our our usual like rattle of what are our like initial questions or you know answers about the format, and our first one for so long was Prince or Popper, and just feel like, one, we always had to explain what that meant, and two, I just find it to not be very helpful like even if we identify it as that then what's the what's the game plan what's the action but we have a lot of action to talk about with the set and i gotta tell you ben i'm so happy to be able to do this episode i missed getting to do this for mid because i was in scotland and obviously that was a great trip but like getting to play magic in the first couple days of a format and feel like you get to leverage all of like the work we put into the crash course and learning the cards and understanding the archetypes and just really feeling like you have a big leg up on the competition that was fun i missed that 100% like day one people are like I don't know about this format like how could you possibly have that opinion just personally like any new magic format is going to be great for like at least three weeks to me even if it ends up not being a good format. That's what I think. I'm like, I think I could end up hating a format and think it's the worst of all time and still my first whatever 25 drafts, I'd be thrilled. Just be like, great, a new puzzle to solve. It's the best thing on the planet. It's Christmas four times a year or like five or 12 at this point. (laughs) Right, exactly. So we've got like our usual big uh, data dump and we are we are now big data boys here on the Lords of Limited, Ben. (laughs) I don't know if I'd go that far. Well, I'm a big data boy now, Um, and we've got some 17 land stuff to talk about to compare to what we've got going on in our experiences with the format in our first whatever, you know, dozen or so drafts each. Um, And then we'll talk about, you know, specific cards, re-ranking of the top commons, all that good stuff. A few housekeeping things to take care of first. First things first is the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. Uh, I've got some wheels turning in terms of, you know, upgrading our Patreon reward tiers, maybe adding another stretch goal uh for you know the overall patronage of the show so be on the lookout for that maybe we'll, we'll drop that around the holiday season which is fast approaching i cannot believe it's the middle of november right now but so we've got some awesome stuff over at the patreon obviously everybody gets access to the discord which is 24 7 limited tech support the place to be when a new set drops and these people this week know what's up so we are going to be welcoming to the fold this week Ong, Daniel, Skyden, Pete, Emil, Thomas, Patrick, Moss, Niraj, Tristan, Ahmed, Walker, Chris, Ben, Carrie, Nick M, Devantois, William, Jow, Thomas, Morgan, Nick R, and Ryan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. We really selected a good order there because you got some names that I would have butchered. (laughs) And you got to say Ben, which is always great. Yeah, good strong name, that one. Yeah. Again, thank you to all those folks. Cannot say enough good things about the Patreon page. Can also not say enough good things about ChannelFireball.com. Best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. Crimson Vow is here. You need to head on over to Channel Fireball. The new marketplace is up. Get your singles, get your sealed product over there. And you can support local game stores at the same time. Maybe your specific LGS or someone else's LGS. MTG Las Vegas also coming up this weekend. It's not too late to make plans, get registered, head on out to Vegas for some great Crimson Vow release weekend action. And whatever you do on the Channel Fireball website, make sure you use code LOL, all caps. Who are you and what have you done with Ben Werney? I know I crushed it. Usually you have to edit me like 12 times. I nailed it. Boom. Crushed it. One take wonder over here. Just <laughs> print it. Let's go. Also, Ben has a promise here to you all in our show notes that the Lowell website, that's lordsoflimited.com, will have an updated tier list by the time you listen to this episode. Heck yeah. Well, it's what I'm going to do right after we're done recording. I feel like I was thinking about this morning. I wonder if this happens to you or other people. When I'm playing a new format the first few days, it's like there's this giant bar graph or line graph or whatever it is and all the cards like there's zero and like as i'm playing like you know this this card's graph goes up a little bit it's bar graph and this this card's bar graph goes down a little bit and i start to have this giant picture of where all the cards stack up against each other in my head really love doing that yeah it's fun and i i it's nice to like start to really hash out you know whatever whatever you think your top six or seven commons in a color are or when you know we got to some colors and i was like i have actually no idea what the top three commons for this color is or i don't know anything past number one like it's interesting to like try you know it, 
it's like anything. Like when you, I, we always tell people, you know, one of the best things you can do to improve the game is to like act like you're making a YouTube video or something. Just like talk through your lines. Once you force yourself to put something into words, you realize like, oh, I actually don't know what I'm talking about, or I don't actually have a reason <laughs> for doing the thing that I'm about to do in this game. You know, that happens um, to us a lot as podcasters. Yeah, clearly, you exactly. Can tell. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's dive in here. First things first, big picture, aka the early rules of engagement. These are tough to peg, but I sort of wanted to to frame the our early experiences with the format in this way rather than, you know, our usual like what, you know, what are the archetypes or what are, you know, you know, like we said, Prince versus Popper. I found this to be a little bit more fruitful. So first thing, let's say the format is quite bomb heavy. And this was part of, you know, uh, Carl, aka two duck cubed on Twitch and Twitter, part of his like early format data breakdown that he did on Twitter. And also he did a great one on stream that I watched as well. Um, that's part of his VODs. And I think I might link that in the show here, but the format's quite bomb heavy. This is not just, not just your experience folks. This is just actually factually true. It's like a, whatever the, the bombs are more impactful, like two, 2.4% more impactful than they were in mid or something. But this does feel like another DBM, aka don't be mid range format, either be aggressive or leverage your bombs. If you're going to the late game, uh, it should not be for commons, right? You should not be getting playing a control deck with just commons. I agree 100%. And it's worth noting that, you know, we have not talked about the format yet. And I think that's one of the things that's really cool about our podcast is that we kind of play separately, get our own opinions and then mash them all together in the show notes. I agree with almost everything that you put in the show notes, which is pretty telling, I think, about the state of a format. Yeah, I think that that speaks to us having similar experiences. But also, I think I would trust a lot that if I'm coming to the show three days into a format with a bunch of ideas, and you're mostly, you know, feels like we're lockstep like 95% of the way with a lot of this stuff, that that's probably going to bear out until like we see a meta shift or something. Yeah. Next point here, you're going to appreciate this one. If anyone is a fan of the Dan Lebitard show, Ethan, removal is back. <laughs> yeah, removal is scarcer as we saw in the crash course, fewer removal spells by a, a pretty significant margin. And it's an oftentimes clunkier than we've seen, right? The five mana deal four in red, six mana kill a thing, get two blood tokens in black, that, that sort of stuff. So you need to be careful not only when you fire it off in game and what you're firing it off on, but you also need to take it pretty darn high in draft, I think. Yeah. So fans of removal from the good old days of limited, <laughs> rejoice. Your hot takes that we should be taking removal spells during the draft are finally coming to fruition in this format. Yeah, our take here is that black is the best color. Um, it is insanely deep at common. And I think all of black's color pairs are pretty strong. I've had a, a chance to play with all of them. Um, black is by far my most played color so far. Black white has my vote for early best deck, though that doesn't, that the data does not bear that out. It's very powerful, very grindy, lots of life gain payoffs and enablers, and lots of really good engine cards at common. You know, you get your gluttonous guests or your heron of hopes or your traveling ministers, and that's all all good stuff at common to have in that deck. I agree 100%. I have played black, white, and I've played a smattering of everything. Honestly, I've only played black, red twice. I think I've played a different color pair every single one of my drafts. I'm about eight drafts deep right now. I have liked black, white quite a bit the time I played it. Yeah, it's really, really strong. Let's, let's talk about blue, black, because I've had varying degrees of success with this deck. I have been less impressed with exploit in a broad sense. Like, I don't feel like my black decks are very good when they are exploit except then i did draft a really busted blue black exploit deck yesterday after i made this point but it also <laughs> is busted because it had dollhouse of horrors in it which is insanely good with exploit which we'll talk about later when we get to a couple rares we're going to touch on diver scob has been sort of like the keystone for this kind of deck for me i think that's a really strong reason to exploit that that's the five mana three five in blue when it exploits target creatures owner puts it on the top or bottom of their library I've found otherwise, like, you know, the three mana, three, two exploit scry one draw card. I don't really want to play my two drop and then sacrifice it to my three drop. I have found board presence to be pretty impactful and I don't really want to like curve out with these. This is sort of my, my fear with like the four mana, three, three in blue that gets back a spell when it exploits that, that I was worried about it curving out with these, but you've had a, a different experience with this. Yeah, I do agree that this is a board presence people format. And the reason for that is right. You have to have a board presence when your opponent it sticks a bomb to maybe try to win through yes. that bomb right to use your removal spell and push some damage and that gets you close enough that you can close the door before the bomb takes over the game or whatever I, I agree with that point broadly i just think if you're exploiting a two drop that doesn't do something when you exploit it you've kind of built your deck wrong or your deck's yes. not doing the thing like 
So for you to be exploit, you have to be all in on exploit and you have to have the great fodder. So for example, stitched assistant, that's the two in a blue three, two that when ETBs you can exploit. And if you do, you scry one draw card. If you're sacrificing a random two drop that's not getting you value, that's not great. But if you're sacrificing your doom to center, that's the one in a black one, one that turns into a two, two, then all of a sudden you're not sacrificing board presence and you are getting the benefit. That I think is when exploit really starts to hum. So you have to have the great sacrifice fodder for it to work. But if you do have that good sacrifice fodder, I think exploit is really powerful. So I agree. I, I think Doom Descender is probably your, your best bet there. I've, I've liked Persistent Specimen a lot. We're going to talk about that a little later in the commons that have impressed us or so, that have surprised us in one way or another. Um, what about Wretched Throng? I have not liked that sort of... I've not liked it in terms of a catch-em-all part of the draft, in terms of when I need to prioritize it or whatever. And I've also not liked that as... like That seems like it's exploit fodder, but I have not liked sacrificing that 2-1 to then go find a 2-1 to then have to replay it. And then sometimes you draw like your second copy and you hate that. That feels bad to me. There's a couple things going on with Wretched Throng. I mean, I don't think you necessarily the curve of Wretched Throng into Stitched Assistant is necessarily that good. But I do think Wretched Throng as a blue common is very good. So I, I think decks with four or five copies are pretty oppressive and i have not done it yet myself but i've played against it and honestly what my opponents have done is played the wretched throng and then they've had counter spells it's almost played like a blue control card advantage type deck and the wretched throng plays early defense super well right because you don't mind trading at all because you get another copy and then later in the game you can leverage those exploit creatures once you've already got a stable board and you're not really giving up the board presence and also counter spells play super well on that deck so it almost plays like a blue black control deck where you just always have a billion more cards in hand than your opponents Mm. that's at least that's what my blue black opponents with a lot of wretched throngs have done to me okay all right well i'll I'll keep an eye on it and that that is still in our top three blue commons so you know i'm not out on it yet but i I have been underwhelmed by it so far talk to me about black green butts i was watching you stream with a deck a black green deck the other night and you were just having the time of your life i love that archetype i don't know what it is but i'm never gonna have fun when i play black green butts even if it is i agree you have in here that it's a little fussy and a little disruptible in our show notes and that is true like if your uncommon payoffs die to removal then you're left with some 113s that don't do much when you curve the 113 into flourishing hunter which is the 6-6 that gains you life equal to the toughness of uh, the greatest toughness of creatures you control it's so busted. Gaining 13 is huge. And then you can chuck the the 113 at your opponent's face if you've got all the payoffs. It's really strong when it comes together, but it is a little finicky. And it is definitely uncommon based, but it is real also, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's real, but like I said, yeah, it's it's it does feel bad because you're just like so reliant on either, you know, the enchantment that flips into a 3-6 vigilance or, you know, the, yeah, the catapult that chucks the the toughness creatures at your opponent's face when it flips or obviously the ancient lumber knot like it's a it's a little fussy i think i do think that is the best home for green splashing as well though like if you get because the two the two three that taps for me of any color has toughness greater than its power which helps flip your cannon fodder thing i do think there's a lot going on there that you can splash bombs of other colors and it helps you get to the late game yeah uh and i think the best deck or maybe like the best deck in terms of our experience slash lining up with the data is red black i mean it can be aggressive but it also can play out much more like a mid-range or even control deck with so much like velocity with blood tokens i mean blood tokens are just so good they're just an a plus limited mechanic they're so strong at smoothing out your draws yeah basically you hit a point in the game where Someone was calling them flood tokens, which made me laugh. But you <laughs> yeah. basically you hit a point in the game where you have five or six lands and then you just never draw another land. So when your opponent sticks, I don't know, their last card and they've got one card in hand, but they've got three blood tokens, like you just know they're drawing action over the next two or three turns. Whereas normally, you know, well, maybe I can get back in the game if my opponent bricks. Like they're just not bricking if they have blood tokens on the battlefield. Yeah, I I feel a sense of dread when I don't have blood tokens in my deck and my opponent is goes like mountain swamp. I'm just like, oh, no, like if this game, <laughs> if this game goes past turn eight. I am just going to get out carded to death. It's so hard to to be able to compete with that amount of hand smoothing. Yeah, they are very, very, very impressive. And I think it's a large part of why red black is so successful. But the red black deck feels like blue black felt in Midnight Hunt in that like. 
you just put red and black commons in your deck and they do so much work together. They get to play aggro. They get to play mid range. They get to outgrind the opponent in the late game. It's just very powerful. You get access to the best removal in the set as well. Like it's just so good. And removal is so good in this set. If you have blood tokens as a theme in your deck or even, you know, it's a handful of blood tokens or whatever, really don't be afraid to run 18 lands. I have been running 18 or 17 most of the time. I have not dipped to 16 yet. That seems like that's going to be a rarity. Yeah, I have also not done 16 or 18. I think I've been 17 every single time. I kind of think that green stinks again and is in last place of the five colors here. And the fact that there's no eccentric farmer type card like to pull you into common to be like, well, at least this is powerful. I, I just don't see a reason to draft green a lot of the time. We'll talk about what green looks to want to do well. Um, we, we had sort of pegged it as like, well, it gets a lot of fixing, right? But I don't think this is a very splashy format, or maybe we just haven't reached that stage, stage of things yet. But I have played almost exclusively two color decks. I've had like a light splash in one of my decks, and that's 17 drafts deep. Yeah, I think... I have done the green multicolor thing a couple times already trying to splash bombs or like was set up in green black butts and also picked up the fixing and could have splashed bombs had I gotten past them. But Mm -hmm. I think the reality is the rares are so good that you're just not going to get past the really good ones because they're good enough that you're supposed to just like jump ship and move in a lot of times in pack two. You know what I mean? So I think splashing with the plan of, well, I'll get past some bombs. There's a lot of bombs in the format. I don't think you're necessarily going to get past those bombs and if you don't have the bombs and you're playing for the late game it's an absolute disaster well i think as we've sometimes seen with these multicolor good stuff decks in previous sets you almost sort of have to like hold on for dear life until pack three because like you said i think it's not going to happen until that pack where people do open whatever the avabrook you know hexproof bomb and go oh i actually can't jump i'm already too solidified in blue red i can't jump ship to green and then they ship it to you or whatever green is a green bomb is not a good example because that's on color for you but whatever you get my meaning right but i've also just found that the better way to do that is just to read what's open for your yes. seat like if you also yes. get that same effect by just finding the appropriate two color pair for your seat you know you read from the right in pack one that you know, you're supposed to be blue white or you're supposed to be blue red or whatever. And then you get past some blue and red rares in pack three because your neighbors are actually shipping you blue and red and you read it correctly. And I do think to that point, this really is a format where you do not necessarily want to carve out your lane and you're much more incentivized to go with the flow because you can get such a high rare payoff. Well, it depends what you open, right? I mean, if you ha- if you open something that is a like, th- this is worth holding on to for dear life, then you're carving out your lane. But otherwise, yeah, I agree. Because the common power level is pretty flat, or not, not flat is maybe not the right word, but certainly coming off of mid, it's a lot flatter. The commons are more clustered together that, you know, you, you want to do it one of both ways. Either, you know, you open a bomb and you're like, okay, this is the thing I really want to play, or you don't and you want to make sure you're open to opening a bomb in pack two or getting past, you know, the appropriate stream of strong uncommons for whatever color pair you're supposed to be in. Right. There's definitely a sliding scale based on how your draft starts. The the better the power level of the rare that you open or whatever, the more you want to try to carve a little bit. And the, if you don't open the good cards, the more flexible you want to be for sure in this format. I've been experimenting with blue red spells. I've drafted it three times now. And I think there's like a really powerful deck here with a bunch of cards that go late, like the red can tripping, like collect them all that gets plus X plus O and trample until end of turn for a creature for how many copies of the card you have in your yard. Um, Just like there's a lot of junky cards. I think this is where chill of the grave is at its best. Because you're trying to like, you know, you want that spell trigger, spell matters thing to trigger your cards. Either you're, you know, you're, it's uncommon based, but like your Whispering Wizard to make your 1-1 flyer. Or you've got your 2-4 Werewolf that's either pinging one or two if it flips. So Chill of the Grave is really good. It's like a tempo-based card there. And a lot of the commons kind of go late. I mean, you need the uncommons to make it worthwhile. But then you can sort of do the thing where you're like, all right, I'm going to take this actual good removal spell, Flame Bless Bolt. And then I'm going to wheel this card that nobody else should want. And that's a fun kind of deck to draft now. And I feel like it's a little little ahead of the curve or under the radar or whatever. Yeah, I agree. I've seen that deck uh, on the other side of the battlefield. I haven't gotten to draft it myself yet. But I also just in looking at the spoiler, know exactly what you're talking about with that deck. And I think to transition us into our little uh, data dump section or just looking at the 17 lands data for which is obviously it's still a little too early to to clock a lot of, of stuff. But, you know, we do have, you know, thousands of games played with certain cards. One of the big 
surprises is the early data showing snarling wolf to be a good card this is the reprint from mid the green one one you can pay one on a green to give it plus two plus two until end of turn be interesting to see how that bears out and i think that sort of clues us into what red green is trying to do in this format and that red green is the top performing archetype so far in best of one yeah so if we take a look at the the best of yeah so if we take a look at the 17 lands win rate according to archetypes red green in number one slot with 58 percent even topping out rakdos which is in the number two slot 57.7 percent and both of those are head and shoulders above the rest of the decks like two to three percent which we i think we know from data at this point that two to three percent is a large amount right that's a lot, yeah. Um, and like the rest of the decks are pretty clustered here in terms of you've got white, black, blue, black, white, red, blue, red, all clustered at 55.3 to 55.2%. And then a drop off to blue, white at 54. And then all three non red, green, green decks in the bottom, right? Black, green, blue, green, and green, white bringing up the rear. Yeah, and I think that lines up with green control decks or green mid-range decks not feeling great. So I think... From what I can tell from the the lack of success I have had with green control decks and green splash decks and then red green being so high up, to me, that feels like green needs to be beat down. Yeah, I think that's true. I have only drafted green white, which is I'm shocked to be the lowest performing deck, but also it's not so surprising to me because it has felt, you know, uh, training itself has felt a little finicky to set up and also green white then has a tendency to like stall the board because you've got this like, you know, you've got your two, five or your three, six reach creatures, but they can't really crack in. And board stalling is not really where you want to be in a deck that doesn't make blood tokens. Right. And so, you know, this data stuff is interesting, right? Because I'm not still all in. And it sounds like you are more all in than I am, but I hadn't looked at it until this morning, right before we recorded, because I really wanted to get my own thoughts solidified. And not having looked at data, I would have told you, my top three decks were Rakdos, Orzov, and Blue Black, I think. And mm-hmm. then the, the red green. <laughs> I just want folks to know that in this mix of Ben, so Ben typed up the top 10 archetypes or like ranked the top 10 archetypes according to the data. And it is just like a real John Nash, like no, like no sense in terms of sometimes like he has red. Red green is RG, but then the next is Rakdos, and then it's Orzov, and then it's UB, and then Boros, and is it, and then but then green white is GW. Like just no <laughs> rhyme or reason to why he typed out the archetype or just typed the two letters. Very funny. And then you just did it just now. Amazing. <laughs> Clearly, that's how they're lodged in my brain. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so I think my top three decks would have been red, black, white, black, and blue, black. And red yeah. green would have been nowhere on my radar, other than that I'd heard rumblings, you know, while I was streaming about red green aggro being really good but then like seeing that win rate plus people telling me that red green is good and then seeing you know the red and green top aggressive commons at the top of the 17 land stuff like that sort of thing is really helpful so now like red green aggro is really on my radar whereas without 17 lands in the data probably would not have been and it's like a deck that i think you and i probably don't wouldn't lean into like i think you're probably still not supposed to draft it for commons but there it doesn't take very many good uncommons for the archetype for you to go okay now i'm interested in you know just the cheap removal and snarling wolves and maybe some wolf synergy etc and i think i would have maybe shied away from that and but seeing this i mean it's just so hard to deny 58 percent win rate it's the top of the heap yeah i agree which takes us on to color power rankings and i think you know based on top commons from the 17 lands data and these archetypes and our personal experience would have black Pretty solidly in number one, but red close on its heels in number two. Yeah, and then white number three, blue number four, and green number five. And that has been, you know, we talked about, you know, you want to be open to whatever the color pair for your seat is. I have from day one been certainly biasing against green. I was actually, I'm ashamed to say, kind of biasing against red like very, very early just because I sort of thought that it wasn't as strong as it is, but it obviously is. And that's partially because of how good blood is. Um, But certainly looking at Mardu colors more than blue and green right now. Yeah, I completely agree. And I also was steering away from red in my first few drafts until I played against red. And I was like, oh, hey, these red cards are really good. Blood's really good. I should probably be drafting red. Yeah. A couple early golden egg awards or the glueiest cards that I just wanted to throw out here. I think my favorite card in the set right now is Gluttonous Guest. This is the Tuna Black 1-4. When it ETBs, you make a blood token. And whenever you sacrifice a blood token, you gain a life. Just has so much overlap with life gain payoffs, 
blood and it's a vampire itself and it has the butts synergy as well which is all stuff that black is interested in doing to an extent i've loved this card i agree i have also loved that card i want to throw a question out to you because i have played it in red black how do you feel about it in red black specifically because it's a little awkward because i do think red black is best beating down or on the front foot and it's a little awkward there have you still liked it in red black have you played it in red black I've really liked it in red black. I have found my red black decks to be grindier than aggro, but maybe that's just like the way that I'm building it or whatever, or possibly because I like gluttonous guests so much, but like these just stack so well that it makes it so hard, not only because it's a one, four body on the ground, but when you have multiples and then you're using the blood either just to rummage or in any other sense that you have to sacrifice it, that you're gaining, you know, two life, three life. Sometimes I've just found that it's a really good piece of the grindy red black decks, but I could definitely see like if I'm going to aggressive red black deck i'm not super interested in a three mana one four well but it also just has so much synergy with all of the other black cards itself that you end up with enough synergy even if you're not beat down i was just thinking about that last night because i was playing it in red black multiple copies because i wanted blood and i had synergy with this card and i had a little bit of life gain synergy so it just does overlap in all of those places really nicely i agree very glue card and the other glue card that i have early on here is traveling minister this is a single white one one and you can tap it to give target creature plus one plus oh until end of turn and you gain a life activate only as a sorcery you were like in your early drafts you were like is this good outside of life gain and it really is i mean obviously it's really good in black white life gain it's also just good in aggro it enables training attacks it makes racing really hard this card is really strong yes very good uh gaining life on Q, I think is its best attribute, but I yes. also like the fact that it does that and it also pumps the power. It just does enough things for one mana that it's a very good card. Yeah. And this is, I think, a card, I think prior to data stuff and maybe even prior to mid that I think it would have taken, I'm, I'll at least speak for myself, I think it would have taken me a couple of weeks to figure out this card. I was pretty hot on this after my first <laughs> draft. <laughs> like yeah. I, I was black, white and all I wanted were more traveling ministers. And then you can also see the other stuff too, right? With the training, it just mm-hmm. is at the intersection of a lot of decks and it's one mana and does a lot of things for one mana. Yeah. And that is, that's a glue card, baby. All right, let's look at some common surprises. So these are commons that have either impressed or or depressed us, I guess, in a <laughs> sense. And uh, the first one up here is definitely an unimpressive card. This is Binding Geist. This is two and a blue for a three one. When it attacks, target creature gets minus two, minus O until end of turn. And has Disturbed for one and a blue. And the aura grants minus two, minus O. I-, I figured this would be super strong because it's a Disturbed, you know, quote unquote removal spell. I just rarely want to cast it for the front side. I find that like blue has better stuff to do. Um, and the three one just like doesn't make good attacks. Like then you shrink a thing and then it's still like, okay, yeah, but my, my persistent specimen trades with this or whatever. Yep. Card is unimpressive. Next up, we've got cradle of safety removal being expensive makes this a bit of a blowout. So this is one in a blue for the aura with flash enchant creature control when the center is the battlefield enchanted creature gains hexproof until end of turn. And then the enchantment gives the creature plus one plus one. If you're in, you know, blue white where you're trying to put some auras on creatures, you know, you, you don't want to get blown out. I think running a copy or two of cradle of safety is, is pretty good. It's also really good in blue red because it's like blue red is spells, but it just says non-creature, right? Non-land, non-creature is what it cares about. And so Cradle of Safety also triggers that. And it's a really good card to like protect your engine pieces or whatever. Right. That turn you're going all in with the ancestral angers on your creature. You know you can't get blown out. Exactly. Next up, we've got Selhoff in Tumor. This is one of the blue for a 1-3 zombie. And it has tap, discard a creature card, draw a card. I have been very impressed by this card, specifically in blue, white with Disturb. It's quite good. And in blue, black with another great common that we'll talk about, a persistent specimen. Like it's it's really, really good. And one three body lines up well on the ground in terms of, you know, holding down the fort for a couple turns. Yeah, I think, you know, you had asked about Wretched Throng. One of the problems with Wretched Throng is when you draw three of your six Wretched Throngs in your hand or whatever. And Selhoff and Tumor solves that problem for you. You can pitch those extra copies. Ooh, that's nice. I like that. Persistent Specimen. Up next, this is the single black for a 1-1, and then you can pay two and a black to return it from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. I think this is just black decks want a copy of Persistent Specimen for the most part. There's so many cards in black. When we're talking about Blood Fountain again, like there's so many cards in black. One of the reasons I like it so much is not only are its top whatever, I don't know, five, six commons just like 
good removal spells or really solid creatures, synergistic, etc. But then it's got all these cards that you're like, these aren't in the top X commons because I don't feel like I want to load up on them, but I really want to make sure I have at least a copy of it by the end of the draft and persistent specimen checks that box. Just like it's so good with blood. It just turns your blood token into draw card. It's also so good with exploit. This is a way to get that exploit yes, yes. curve out started without feeling like you're losing the board presence. Because you play this on one, you go to play your two drop, still have your two drop, and then play your um, stitch assistant on three. Yep, yep, for sure. Uh, maybe a little bit of a contentious card here. I'm not sure. Courier Bat is up next. This is two and a black for the 2-2 Flyer. When it enters the battlefield, if you gained life this turn, return up to one target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. I have found this to be absolutely insane. I have also put it on the side of black decks, right? I've not main decked it in, in some black decks where I don't get a lot of black life gain. But the thing about this is that I don't feel like it's just relegated to, hey, this is a black white gold card. Cause I do think black has the ability, you know, specifically with gluttonous guest, you know, you have the ability on, on turn four or later, you could even just discard, use your blood token, discard a creature that gains you a little bit of life. And then the courier bat comes down, rebuys that creature, whatever you can, they're common. So you can loop them together. I, I have found it to be pretty powerful. Yes, I agree. I was super hot on Courier Bat coming into it, and I've actually bumped it down a little bit, and I've played with it with the Gluttonous Guest. So I think here's my thoughts on Courier Bat. I think it's a very <laughs> good card. Like, even though I bumped it down, I still, I'm not saying it is not a good card, but I don't think it's insane, as insane as you would expect a flying Gravedigger to be, if that makes sense. And some mm -hmm. of that is because of the bomb heavy nature of the format. So just, just grinding with courier bats to me is not enough to win games unless you have the bombs because you can accrue all the incremental you know rebuying creature advantages you want but there are just a lot of cards that say answer this or you lose like just invalidate whatever has happened in the game before that so yes. i especially like courier bat if you have those types of cards but i think just the common synergy of grinding with courier bat is not enough if you're not rebuying very powerful cards with it. Yeah, uh, that that has not been my experience yet. But uh, but I think it's also worth noting that I have played exclusively best of three so far uh, on MTGO day one because Arena was really having some struggle bus issues. Um, and then but since then on Arena, and you've been playing exclusively best of one. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And the next card we're going to talk about, Blood Fountain, for example. I would rather have my first copy of Blood Fountain than my first copy of Courier Bat. So let's so let's talk about Blood Fountain first. So that's a single black artifact. When it ETBs, you make a blood token and then has three and a black tap, sack it, return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. So my note here is that I've drafted black a lot so far and every single deck I have drafted that is black has wanted a copy of this and I'm sad when I don't have one, right? Going into pack three when I'm trying to figure out, okay, what are the holes I need to fill? If I'm like, okay, I need recursion, I need a Blood Fountain and I don't get it by pick 38, I'm sad. Amen. Blood Fountain is great. But I will say I would I would take the first copy of Courier Bat over the first copy of Blood Fountain because one, the ceiling is higher for Courier Bat. So I'm interested in trying to stretch that ceiling. And two, I feel like I'm happier to load up on the bats than I am to load up on the Blood Fountain. Blood Fountain feels like a card that I want generally exactly one copy of. Is that true? Blood Fountain? That's what I think. Blood Fountain is a three for one, right? Courier Bat is a two for one. And the two two flyer isn't necessarily swinging games uh that's fair i mean sure sometimes you're playing against the one four reach in green but so sometimes you're not and the two two flyer is a threat so I, I don't know yeah i think we will have to see where it all shakes out but i i want to make it clear that i am not poo-pooing courier bat as a bad card i think courier bat is good i just have bumped it down slightly all right here's my here's my, my card here ancestral anger we alluded to this as single red sorcery target creature gains trample and gets plus x plus o until end of turn where x is one plus the number of cards named ancestral anger in your graveyard draw a card i basically thought this was like unplayable and i feel like i should just never think a card is unplayable at this point going into a set because so many cards have impressed me but there is a real potential for a red x spells deck you want to start you want to like just it's like any sort of i don't know derpy collect them all you want to recognize them like spot them whenever they're in a pack because if you find yourself either taking red cards initially or pivoting towards red mid pack then you can go okay i saw one in my opener and one in pack four and then that's going to wheel and wheel. And then you've sort of got a stew going. Yeah, I have seen this deck on the other side of the battlefield. I haven't gotten to do it yet. And I also kind of noted this in the spoiler season that maybe mm -hmm. there was something here with Ancestral Anger. And it sounds like you might have found it. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we were worried about, well, all the, you know, spells payoffs cost like four mana, right? There's no festival crasher in this set. And so it feels like you don't quite get there. And I haven't done the thing. I think Kessick Flame Breather still might be too junky. This is the one in a red one, three. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, it deals one damage to each opponent. I haven't quite gotten like gone all in with that and the anger but that's another card that like no one else should want and goes pretty late right now um so i'm, I'm keeping my eye on that um but yeah it's uh it's been a fun deck so far next up is a premium card flame Oof. blessed bolt red mana for the instant <laughs> and it deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker if that creature or planeswalker would die this turn you exile it instead so real talk and ryan Sachs even tweeted about this before i think i put this in the show notes uh is this better than a braid it's very close. It's really close, right? This is so so often the two mana deal three is just like much better than the one mana deal two. But Exile is so, so good on this, not only because of Disturb, but just with how much recursion black has. So it basically is the Exile effect is relevant against three of the five colors. And so much stuff is small. So much stuff that matters is small. Bolt is primo. I think there's enough three twos that I, I want to call it. Flame Blessed Bolt over a Braid. Okay. All right. We're calling it here. We're, we're getting the hot removal takes. A card that I argued with Alex quite a bit about in our set review is Voldaren Epicure, a single red for a 1-1 vampire. When it enters the battlefield, it deals one damage to each opponent, create a blood token. And I'm kind of coming around to this card, right? It gets the blood train rolling early, and it can be discarded to blood late. It's also exploit fodder if you're in blue, red or red, black. And so I think all of that has added up to a card that I think is it's not like a, a premium or anything, but I was like relegating it to like, you know, whatever draft chaff trash. And I don't think it's that. Yeah, I have no experience one way or the other to weigh in yet, but I will trust you on it. Yeah. Have you played with our next card yet? I have not, but I am on the wavelength of it being good. So I was really happy to you have it in here and saying that you think it's good. This is Ceremonial Knife. This is one mana for the artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one plus oh and has whenever this creature deals combat damage, create a blood token. And it has an equip cost of two. Yeah. I mean, another card that I sort of poo-pooed in the set review and then it just didn't take long for me to go. All right. I mean, blood is just so good. I think this card is just good, period. I don't think... Obviously, it's good in a deck that cares about blood, but also the fact that this is a colorless way to give decks blood like green white that don't get to play with blood otherwise also does the thing of like increasing power for enabling training attacks, etc. I think one copy of Ceremonial Knife just might be good in most decks. That checks out with what I was thinking about the card while I was drafting and just thinking about the format. So I'm excited to give it a try. Yeah. All right. I, I saw this. So so far, these are all cards that I put in the show notes and then woke up this morning and saw what Ben had added. And when I saw this on the list, I was sort of shocked and taken aback. But I think I agree with you. This is Kindly Ancestor. What's going on here? Yeah, this was my favorite card. I usually have a very strong affinity for this kind of card. And I did in spoiler season. This is two and a white for the two, three lifelink. And it has Disturb for one and a white. And it just doesn't matter. It's a big mover down for me. This was my top white common and traveling minister just does everything this card does, but so much better. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think like it's not like it's bad or anything or like unplayable, but it's definitely not. It's not in our top three white commons anymore. It's just a C. It's a fine card. Exactly. Uh, something that is in our top three white commons now is Sigarda's Imprisonment. Two and a white for the aura enchanted creature can't attack or block. Pay four and a white exile enchanted creature create a blood token. You just you need re removal in the format. This gets the job done. This, again, gives a blood token like that is relevant. The fact that you can get the creature off the battlefield, exile is relevant, and you give a blood token to a color that doesn't get blood tokens. That all adds up to a card that I think is good in this format. Right. It's a lot of mana investment, but the blood token at that point in the game is essentially draw a card. Yes. Especially in white. Next up is Syncopate. That's blue X counter target spell unless this controller pays X. And then when you counter it, you exile it instead. This has felt really hard to play against. And not just because I'm like, woe is me. I get dazed all the time. Yeah. I think this is going to be a player in blue decks in the format. And I think the blue counter spells, especially in this blue control shell that I've kind of seen with the wretched throngs and the exploit and things. When my opponent leaves up mana... I feel really bad about having to play in a counter spells. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I have liked playing Syncopate in, especially in my blue red decks, um, but I've liked playing Syncopate myself and I have not liked getting Syncopated. So I, I totally agree. This isn't a card that I was sort of poo pooing initially because I have not liked it in previous formats, but I have really liked it so far. And just to like zoom out a little bit on counterspells in general, there was a lot of talk about, well, are counterspells just better in limited going forward coming into this format? And my, my stance on that was just, no, they are not. But I do think given the context of this format and the bomb heavy nature of it, counterspells go up just as a way to answer bombs a little bit, right? So if you can nab yeah. that thing before it hits the battlefield, that's really important. And then syncopate, especially exiling, because a lot of those black decks, you know, yes. have the bombs, often then stack their decks with two or three ways to recur the bomb. And syncopate exiling is also especially brutal on those type of cards. Next up is a card that you tweeted about. This is Desperate Farmer. Two and a black for the 2-2 two, two lifelink. Whenever another creature you control dies, transform it. And it transforms into a 4-3 with lifelink. Talk to me about this card. You seem to have a, a bit of a love affair here. Yeah, I have been impressed. I have not played it yet. I have not cast it yet. But every time my opponents have played it, I had the same feeling about it that I had about hoarding over an AFR. Like my initial reaction is, "Ugh, that's a really bad card. And then, wow, that's kind of good against me and I need to deal with it. And so because I have that same feeling in my gut about Desperate Farmer, I think I'm moving it up in my pick order and I think it's a pretty good card in the format. So here's the problem I have with black in terms of like making a pick order. And I just want to float this out here because I think this will also maybe be reflected in our discussion of the top commons. So the data suggests right now that the top three black commons are the three four drops, right? Bleed dry, which is the removal spell. Diagraph scavenger, that's the zombie with death touch that can uh, drain two if you exile a creature with ATBs. And blood crazed socialite is the three three menace, make a blood token. When it attacks, you can sack a blood token to give it plus two plus two. My problem is, is that your four drop slot can only have so many cards, right? <laughs> yeah. And there's no way you could pick all three of those as your top three black commons. You have to concede, I think, to bleed dry because removal is so scarce and bleed dry is such a good removal spell in terms of it's just going to kill a thing dead at instant speed and exiles it. And so you have to sort of, if you're in black, you have to sort of say, hey, I maybe can't take the scavenger and the socialite where I'd like to because if I see bleed dries, I know I need to take those and include them in my deck. And so that opens up the floor for... Cards like Gluttonous Guest, which I think is a very high pick. Cards like this, which is like not as good as those other four drops, but you might have to take it higher because it fills out your curve at a better spot. Even something like the two mana two one, that if you've discarded a card in your turn at your end step, it flips to a three three that when it attacks drains for one. Um, that I think is a really high pick. I mean, so Black has just such, that's already six cards and we haven't even talked about the Bat or the Fountain, right? Black has just such a deep roster of commons, but there, it's awkward to sort of rank them in a sort of one, two, three style pick order. Yes, I completely agree. And so just think about that, right? There are three, four drops you're happy with. There are also three, three drops you're happy with. Like yeah. if, if Desperate Farmer is good, you have Desperate Farmer, the Bat and Gluttonous Guest, right? Like, Yeah. <laughs> Black is yeah. so deep. Black is so deep. So yeah, so I like Desperate Farmer too, but I, you know, I responded to, to your tweet and I was like, it's good, but it's probably still like the sixth best black common. But also you might still have to pick it as the second best black common or the third best because of curve considerations. Right. Next up is Rural Recruit. This is three and a green for a one one with training. And when it ETBs, you make a three one green boar creature token. I've, again, I've not cast this yet, but it's been impressive against me when my opponents have played green beatdown decks. And I think just a nod to green beatdown and a nod to maybe this card being good in those archetypes. Yeah, it's green beatdown slash training has felt there's like there's this shift in the game where you feel like everything is fine. You're like, eh, eh, everything's all right. And then maybe they land you know, the quartermaster, which we'll talk about in a second, there's some way to enable this like massive attack. And the game feels like it flips immediately. But up until that point, you're like, this is all pretty unimpressive. And then they happen to have, you know, a turn where they have some explosive attack or enable a really strong attack. And I think rural recruit is kind of part of that kind of turn. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Last common is wolf strike. This is two and a green for the instant target creature you control gets plus two plus zero until end of turn if it's night and then it deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. I had this kind of as whatever usual green fight spell not super impressive and I think the prevalence of needing removal and the, the you know the bombers floating around that you have to answer bumps this up as well as this is much better when green is beating down and if green beat down is good I think wolf strike gets a lot better. Yeah. All right, let's look at some uncommon surprises. First up is Angelic Quartermaster. That's three white, white for a three, three flyer. When it ETBs, you put a plus one, plus one counter on each of up to two other target creatures. This card is an absolute beating. Uh, it's 
definitely in my mind better than previous iterations we've seen before. It being a, a five mana three three flyer and then also enabling potentially one or two other attacks. It's just redonkulous. Haven't seen it yet, but I will take your word for it. Edgar's Awakening, I have seen and cast this. This is super busted. This is three black black for the sorcery. Return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. When you discard Edgar's Awakening, you may pay black. If you do return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. So you always get this as like a free discard to blood because you're Mm -hmm. black and your black deck should have blood. But there's also, if you get the bombs, you Mm -hmm. can do the reanimate your bombs thing like with blood. You pitch your bomb to your blood and then you can Edgar's Awakening it out on turn five. I turned five, the uh, Dreadfast Demon, which I'm calling the Breakfast Demon because you eat your opponents for breakfast. Uh, <laughs> it's five black black for the six six that copies itself every turn. I put that out on turn five with Edgar's Awakening. It's pretty sweet. That's disgusting. All right, let's talk about this next card. Innocent Traveler. Two black black, one three. At the beginning of your upkeep, any opponent may sacrifice a creature. If no one does, transform it. And it transforms into a three three flyer. It has plus two plus oh as long as an opponent controls a human. You know, we I think we both thought this card was not good. Alex as well. It's just like two junky four mana one three at such a bad rate. I did play against this card and it was really hard to deal with, perhaps because removal is so scarce, just hard to find an answer for it. But I didn't and I couldn't face a hasty five three flyer either because I had humans. And so I was like, well, what am I supposed to do here? Like I can't beat a five three flyer, but I also don't want to sacrifice a creature every turn. It really I think this might be better than we gave it credit for. I have not seen it yet, so I will take your word for it. All right. Next up is Ballista Watcher. This is a big mover up for you. This is the two red red for a four three and you can pay two and a red tap to have it deal damage to any target. And then on the flip side, it is a five five and you can pay two and a red as many times as you want to deal damage to any target and a creature dealt damage that way can't block this turn. Yeah, this is a huge mover up. You know, we argued about this in the crash course. I like talked you down to a C plus. I think this is probably where you had it initially as a B. It's been great for me. It's been great against me. There's lots of small creatures as we've alluded to. And once you get to six mana, picking off an X2 or even two X ones, I, I got to pick off two of the the two one flying training in white i was like something i picked off that like my opponent went that that and i was like cool i'll just flip this with my sixth land and then kill both of those before you get to train them like this card is is very good next up is sanguine statuette one in a red for an artifact when etbs you make a blood token and whenever you sacrifice a blood token you can have this become a three three vampire artifact creature with haste until end of turn i've played with this i know you've played with this a bunch i've been impressed with it i don't know that it's insane but if you are red and you're aggressive and you care about blood i think you are always including sanguine statuette well and one of the great things about this kind of card is just what is so great about blood and what we talked about last week about blood working well with situational cards like if this is in your opener awesome this is your this is a great turn two play or even a great turn three play crack the blood attack with it as a hasty three three if it's late game and this is not a good card for you, well, you probably have other blood tokens to pitch this to dig towards stuff that does matter. Um, I do need to just sick brags for a moment. I had a deck with four of these <laughs> when I was playing on MTGO on day one and faced Reed Duke, and I got to go turn two, three, four, five statuette against Reed. I assume you won that game. I did. And I went back and watched it from his perspective. And just the man is just pure class from head to toe. And he was just like, he was just, I'm not mad. I'm just impressed. Like he was just like, wow, <laughs> what? It was great. Great to watch. That's awesome. Uh, next up, we got Crawling Infestation. This is one of our preview cards, Ben. Two and a green for an enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may mill two cards. And whenever one or more creature cards are put into your graveyard from anywhere during your turn, you make a 1-1 one, one green insect creature token. This ability triggers only once each turn. This card is really bad. This is way too slow. You only get one 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 in a turn cycle, right? Because it's only can trigger once and only can trigger on your turn. It's just super low impact. And the data suggests this. I have felt this myself. I kind of think blue-green self-milled is just bad. I would buy it. And I also buy that this card is just an F in the format. Yeah. Blood Tithe Harvester is next up. This is a huge overperforming uncommon on 17 lands. This card is great. It's Black the best, right? It's the top, top win rate uncommon right now. By a significant amount, yeah. Yeah. This is black red for a 3-2. When ETBs, you make a blood token, and then you can tap sack blood harvester. Target creature gets minus X minus X until end of turn, where X is twice the number of blood tokens you control. Activate only as a sorcery. So my initial read of this card was wrong. Reading is hard. I thought that you had to like sack the blood tokens as well, but you do not. This just gives you a blood token. Then this is removal as a creature. And we've already noted there's so much recursion in black ways to get back creatures that then you're just getting to rebuy a removal spell that also makes a blood token. And we know blood tokens are good. This card is just 
really powerful. Speaking of reading being hard, public service announcement. Have you done have you done the thing yet with Gift of Fangs? No. Splack Gift of Fangs is the enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus two plus two as long as it's a vampire. Otherwise hmm. it gets minus two minus two. Oh, I no. have what did you do? gifted what did you my do? opponent's vampires twice already. No. <laughs> not not no. once, but twice. No, 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 Ben. No, I, I have not done that. I've not done that. And I hope not to do that. I have a firm rule for myself that I am probably just not allowed to play Gift of Fangs anymore because <laughs> I think it's lowering my win rate. That's really funny. Uh, do we have uh, do we have Ben Slayer Angel 2.0 here in Fleeting Spirit? This is, uh, this is one and a white for a 3-1 spirit. Pay a white, exile three cards from your graveyard to give it first strike until end of turn. And you can also discard a card to exile it, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. Not that level of good, no. But this is a very good two-drop. I think this is a premium white two-drop. plays very well with training. It just does a lot of small things well. Two mana, three one is good in this format. Yeah, and, and it's. I think it's interesting to note, and we did note this in the crash course, that we don't get those stats at common. So this is this is your way to get that. Honeymoon Hearse is up next. This was a hard card for me to wrap my brain around, and I thought it might have been good in red beatdown decks. This is two in a red for the vehicle, 5-5 five, five trample. You tap two and tap creatures you control. It becomes an artifact creature until end of turn. Tapping two creatures is just too much of a cost. Like, it's ideally nice if you're curving, like, one drop, two drop, into this or maybe two drop into this into four drop but even then having to tap two creatures this ends up being closer to crew four or something and that's yeah. just not worth it yeah it's like crew three crew four which is so much and and the fact that you can't do it from even one creature it's bad markov retribution probably just another nod to you need removal two in red for a sorcery choose one or both creatures you control get plus one plus oh until end of turn target vampire you control deals damage equal to its power to another target creature uh, it's probably a red-black gold card, but it's really strong in red-black specifically. Yeah, I have loved Markov Retribution in red-black. It's really, really, really good. It enables attacks for all your vampires that maybe have lost attacks at some point. Like you just alpha with three or four creatures while killing their best blocker. It has ended many games for me so far in red-black. Yeah. Next up, we've got two green cards. Pack Song Pup. That's one in a green for the 1-1 one, one that grows at the beginning of combat on your turn if you control another wolf or werewolf. And then when it dies, you gain life equal to its power. I have a sneaking suspicion that Pack Song Pup might be why Snarling Wolf is performing yeah. well. Yep. <laughs> um, that and Wolfkin Outcast. This is the five and a green werewolf that is a 5-4, and it costs two less to cast if you control a wolf or a werewolf. And then on the backside, it turns into Wedding Crasher, Mr. Owen Wilson. 6-5, <laughs> when it or another wolf or werewolf you control dies, you draw a card. Both of these uncommons have been super impressive. And I just think wolves are better than they were in, in Astrod Midnight Hunt. So if you have like red-green being bad, because it was bad in the last format, I think you just need to adjust that baseline. And I have also found, I don't know if this has been your experience, that it's difficult to flip it back to day once it's night, like much more so than it was in Midnight Hunt. I haven't really clocked that myself, but I could buy it for sure. I just have found that my curve is enough higher or I don't have as easily accessible cheap plays multiple times. Like maybe I can do it once, but then the next time it goes back to night, it's really hard to flip it back. What's the last card we've got on this list here, Ben? Wow, thank you for setting that up for me so nicely, Ethan. <laughs> this is Boarded Window. Three mana for the artifact. Creatures attacking you get minus one, minus O. Oh, the beginning of each end step, if you're dealt four more damage this turn, you exile Boarded Window. I gave us an F in our set review crash course, <laughs> and this card is bonkers. Yeah. You should not pass it, I think, early in the draft, and it is very good. It's really good. I've only played with it in a deck once, but in that deck I had four copies of it. And it just stacks like if your opponent sticks a second one of these, you have to hope you're in red and you have a braids because otherwise I don't know how you're beating this card. It's very strong. I only have one copy and it single handedly won me a game last night. And uh, that was against flyers and I was under pressure like I was in the scenario where you would think this card would be bad. And it was great. It's it's very good. Probably early in the draft, like B, B plus levels, especially because it's colorless. Yeah, you should not pass this card. Yeah, glad glad to see you come around, my friend. <laughs> all right, well, that's going to bring us to our common re rankings here for all five colors. Some I think we're pretty confident, and some not so much. And we also have been checking in on the seventeen lands data to sort of see where that matches up. So in white, we're all lined up with the data here. Uh, number three, we've got Sigarda's imprisonment. That's the aura that makes a thing not be able to attack or block and then you can exile it to make a blood token in the number two slot we've got fierce retribution which is the one on a white instant 
destroy target attacking creature, and then you can pay its cleave cost for five and a white to just destroy target creature. And number one, traveling minister, single white one one, tap to give a creature plus one plus O oh, and gain a life at sorcery speed. Yeah, and I think white how do you feel about white as a color like what is its identity i feel like it wants to be aggressive i think best home is probably white black life gain i think i agree with that but what i think is so great about white is that it can grind and one of the things i think we've seen from you know colors performing well is that they can have a good curve out right blue and midnight hunt could curve out pretty well and just go like you know two drop into falcon abomination into whatever and like you know the decayed tokens really added up but also you just had all this card selection and card draw that also gave you game in the mid to late game and i think sort of disturb gives white that here where you can curve out but it also gets some good removal it has life gain to grind it has you know heron of hope as a good threat etc so that's what i that's why i like white in this format quite a bit Mm -hmm. moving on to blue in the number three slot we've got stitched assistant that is two and a blue for the three two when etbs you can exploit if you do uh you get to scry one and draw a card we've got wretched throng that's the collect them all one and a blue two one when it dies you can search your library for a copy of wretched throng and put it into your hand and then in the number one slot we've got lantern bearer blue for the one one flyer and it has Disturb for two and a blue to give Enchanted Creature plus one plus one and flying. Interesting to note, the 17 lands data has the two counter spells as number two and number three. Siphon Essence, that's the counter a creature, a planeswalker, and then make a blood token. And then Syncopate is the X and a blue to exile the spell unless their controller pays X. So those might be a little underrated by us right now. I feel confident about Lantern Bearer. And then beyond that, I have no idea. I feel pretty confident about Wretched Throng number two myself. And then these counter spells alongside those three cards that I listed or we listed together have been really good in blue shells, specifically blue black for my opponents. Yeah, I, I could buy it. I'm still not I'm still not sold on Wretched Throng, but I'm going to I'm trusting you and I'm going to give it another chance. All right, moving on to black in the number three slot. We've got Diagraph Scavenger. That's the three and a black for the two three with Death Touch. When ETBs, you can exile a creature card. And if you do, you gain two opponent loses two. Uh, number two, we've got Gluttonous Guest. Two and a black for the 1-4 vampire when ETBs make a blood token. Whenever you sack a blood token, gain a life. And the number one slot, bleed dry, two black, black, instant. Target creature gets minus 13, minus 13, and then exile it. Question for you about bleed dry. Are you still on Hero's Downfall over bleed dry? I, I faced that pick last night, and the exile's so important on bleed dry. Yeah, I could see it. You asked me about that last week, and I said, oh, I think the three drop matters, and I could still see the three mana mattering, but exile is really important. It has, like, that's the reason we're about to move Flame Bless Bolt up to number one in terms of red commons. So, I don't know. I could see it for sure. Yeah. And the 17 lands data has Bleed Dry 1, Diagraph Scavenger 2, Blood Craze Socialite 3. That's the, the three and a black, three, three menace that when it attacks, you can sack a blood token to give it plus two, plus two, and it also makes a blood token when it ETBs. Yeah, I mean, those black is just insanely deep. And like we said, those three are very good, but I don't think you can pick them in that order. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense to me. Uh, moving on to red, we've got Blood Petal Celebrant as the number three, but I, I could see it going another way. But this is the one in red 2-1. When it's attacking, it has first strike. And when it dies, it makes a blood token. Yeah. Uh, number two slot, we've got a braid now since we bumped Flame Blessed Bolt up. That's the one in a red deal three to a creature or destroy an artifact. And Bolt is the single red deal two. If the creature dies this turn, exile it instead. And the data still has a braid one, a bolt two. The data's behind our hot takes. <laughs> and in the number three slot, the data has Falcon Wrath Celebrants. That's four in a red for the four four with Menace. And when it ETBs, you make two blood tokens. This card has been impressive. This reads like stick a threat on turn five, six, whatever. And then don't draw land for the rest of the game if you don't want to. Yeah, it's really good. I think the only reason we have the Blood Petal Celebrant is just a nod to your curve. You need two drops. Like, again, the reason that you can't just take a bunch of fours in black, you also can't just like load up on a bunch of Falcon Wrath Celebrants in red. Right. But uh, Blood Petal Celebrant is in the number four slot on the data as well. Okay, good. That's that's nice to see. So we're not not too far off there. Right. And then big question marks here with green i have i have no idea what green is trying to do and it seems like it's supposed to be wolf aggro green aggro beatdown, which neither of us have drafted yet but we have faced so i'd say let's let's talk about the data first in terms of what the rankings are yeah so data in the number one slot is wolf strike that's the tuna green target creature control deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control and it gets plus two plus oh if it's night i think Given everything that I have heard and what this data says, I'm willing to trust the data on Wolf Strike number one. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense with the removal is scarce and you need removal. And this is the green's only option at common or uncommon. Uh, in the number two slot, massive might. Single green for the instant target creature gets plus two, plus two and trample until end of turn. And again, makes sense on the beatdown plan. Like we have recognized the power of these cheap green combat tricks that give power and toughness boost and trample. Number two seems pretty aggressive. Like I can't imagine picking this as my number two green common, but I think its win rate in the data makes sense. You're probably not picking it as the number two green common, but again, it's a nod towards green wanting to be aggressive. I've played a non-zero amount of games where my opponent is doing things and I go, if they have, like, how do I play around massive might? And at a certain point, you just can't. And that's pretty powerful for a single mana spell. Right. And then the number three slot for the data is Flourishing Hunter. That's the four GG for the six, six. And you gain life equal to the greatest toughness among creatures you control other than it when it ETBs. I mean, this lines up with what our expectations were, what we sort of have rudimentary here in our own rankings. This kind of effect, the Honey Mammoth, the Ravenous Lindworm, whatever, these are just good in limited. And as long as green doesn't have a good identity in limited, which it really hasn't for a long time, I think the Flourishing Hunter, this this kind of effect is going to be a top pick. Yeah, I, it's awkward though because that is not the card you want in a green beat right, deck. Right, right. So it sort of it sort of signals to another kind of green deck that could be successful. But my feeling after talking through this, looking at the data, my feeling right now is I don't want to draft green at common. But if I get like the Pack Song pup, then it opens up all this other stuff. Then I'm like, all right, well, I do want the Wolf Strike, I do want the Massive Might, I do want the Snarling Wolf. Like it doesn't take much at uncommon for me to start to understand how to value these commons. Right. That I think I completely agree with. And when I have lost to the green beatdown decks, it has been largely on the back of losing to uncommons, backed up by Wolf Strike, for example. Yeah. And so, you know, a couple cards here. Like I put Spore Crawler number one, that's the three mana three two, and it dies draw card, and Apprentice Sharpshooter, the two and a green one four reach and training. Those not showing up on the data make sense. Spore Crawler, it's interesting. Like it, it feels like it's on that long list of you know, some amount of rate, right? We've seen like four mana, three, two ETB draw a card. This is three mana, three, two when it dies, draw a card. And you would think, you know, oh, there's exploit. And so you don't mind sacrificing it or, oh, it enables training because you don't mind attacking and trading with a two, two to get a counter on something and then draw a card. But it seems like that's not playing out so far. I mean, I haven't hated playing it myself, but I also have not found it to be super impressive. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. Well, there you have it. Man, this was fun. I love talking about a new set. <laughs> it really is good. Any takeaways for the listeners or big picture thoughts before we wrap up here? I mean, other than what we've talked about, I don't think so. I think just like, you know, it's really interesting going from our initial evaluations, the th cards that we hashed out in the crash course. And here after just, you know, three days, you know, you have eight drafts. I have about, you know, twice as much, maybe 16, 17 drafts under my belt. and how many cards have shifted for us and how oh, I feel like we've got a really good finger on the pulse of what's moving up, what's moving down, why it's moving up, why it's moving down. Even if I've had an experience with a card, I'm not trying to get locked into that, especially when I hear you have a different experience, like with Wretched Throng, I'm going to keep my options open there. So I would just, for our listeners, I would really encourage you don't get locked in just yet. Like take, and don't like take what we're saying or what any other, you know, content creator is saying as gospel. Like everybody's just doing their best to get the best information out that they can, but that information could also change by Wednesday. For sure. Yeah. I think for myself, rules I have for myself are one, I need to make sure I have three to five ways to deal with lots of creatures if I can. Like <laughs> good pieces of removal. And I need to be more conservative about when I'm firing off my removal, especially yeah. if it's the last removal spell in my hand. So that removal matters a little bit more. And I need to remind myself that it is a premium resource when I have it and to be used effectively. And I think the second rule I have for myself is that if I'm not playing with really good rares, I want to be working to try to close the game out as quickly as I can. Yeah, I think that's that's good advice. I just think when was the last time where we were like, you should be mid range. Like, I just think that's not a good, <laughs> you know, it used to be all limited decks are flavors of mid range. And I think it's now like, don't be mid range because aggro decks are good and one drops are good. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. And the last thought I want to leave listeners with here is there's been a lot of talk in Twitch chat about Prince format, bomb format, like nothing you do matters. And I just want to throw out there that like while there may be a lot of rares that are bombs and invalidate everything that's happened in the game, you do have tools to fight against that, right? You can be aggressive. You can make sure you have board presence. You can hold on to your removal and just idly complaining about the rares for the sake of complaining about the rares is not going to do 
you any good or anyone any good for their win rate. So while yes, there are like lots of oppressive rares in the format, let's try to figure out what we can do to help solve that problem rather than complain about it. Yeah, exactly. That's why I don't like the the Prince versus Poffer discussion or like why when we used to do it, I tried to frame it in a way of like, well, if it's a Prince format, that means you want to hold on to your rares and carve out your lane more. And if it's a Pauper format, then you want to let the table dictate because you know you can get power at common. So if you're going to use that sentiment as a as a tool for helping you draft the format, great. But if you're just doing it to complain about losing to a rare, like we're all going to play with and lose to the same amount of rares throughout the course of a format, right? It will all even out. And so what you do to you know, increase your edges against those cards, that's where you're going to see that bump in win rate. Turn it into a, what can I do about this rather than how can I complain about this? Yes, we will try to give you actionable advice in that area. Yeah, for sure. All right, great place to wrap us up. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases on the marketplace or signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. You can check out all of our goodies over at our website, lordsoflimited.com, including our updated tier list, um, if you're looking for that. And until next week, we will catch you for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.